That is sponsoring the show this month is a good buddy of mine, Mr. Aaron Tanner. I need y'all to go look him up on all his social medias. Uh, Aaron Tanner Music on Instagram. Aaron Tanner Music on Facebook. Uh, AaronTannerMusic.com. His TikTok, surprise, Aaron Tanner. My dude likes to mix gospel and some honky-tonk music. I've had him in the studio a couple times. He's a cool dude. So y'all please go check him out. If any of y'all are interested in booking him, email him at B-A-Tanner, T-A-N-N-E-R, 89 at gmail.com or call him at 912-246-4977. Aaron Tanner is our artist of the month for January 2023. How about some cowboy stuff? My buddy, old friend, Chris Sapp, owner of Desperado and Company over at the Puller Tanger Outlet Mall. They are in Suite 611. They offer all kind of Western wear. Boots, toddlers, youth, women's, men's, everything. They have Ariat wallets, phone cases, men and women's jewelry, uh, Montana silversmith, belt buckles, Ariat belts for men. They offer clinch, Ariat and Wrangler are their main brands of clothes. Lots of exotic boots. Uh, guys, I saw some of the stuff that they're bringing me and some of the stuff I get to try on. Let me tell you, there's a lot of great Western wear places that are up in Nashville that I get to go to. This place compares to every single one of them. So what I need you guys to do is look up Desperado and Company, Chris Sapp. Their phone number is 912 912- Six zero four zero three eight nine. Go check them out. Get all turquoise the hell up. Get all westerned up. Look like a cowboy cowgirl. Western fashion is the coolest shit to me, by the way. And uh, the fact that they're on board as a sponsor now, I can't wait to try on some of the stuff that he has sent me and everything that they have sent me in pictures uh, to get my size in. Dude, it's all banging. It's all awesome. So look up Desperado and Company now. Mr. Chris Sapp, once again, the Puller Tanger Outlet Mall, Suite 611. Now, a couple days ago, I did a show with Miss Lori from Lori's Dive-In over in Alamo. She brought me and Gracie all types of food, even a keto pizza, a cauliflower pizza. I've never ate anything like that before in my life. And let me tell you, it was banging. The wings were amazing. She does this special mix-up with lemon pepper and buffalo, and it's out of this world. Her wings are cooked better than almost any place I've ever been. Um, so what else did she bring us? She brought us fried Oreos. She brought us fried pickles. Uh, the barbecue was awesome. The hamburger was banging. When you go there, too, folks, you can go back and listen to the whole episode between me and her. Her staff is awesome. You feel like you're at home. 
it's just the best little place around. I know whenever we go through Alamo or I'm going down 16, I'm going to divert myself to go get lunch there. Y'all please go check her out. Her phone number is 912-568-1645. It's on Commerce Street over in Alamo. You can't miss it. It's Lori's Dive-In. Go get fed good. Go get treated good. You're not going to get better service from better people anywhere around here. So go check her out now. Let me tell you guys about the baddest insurance agent around these parts, Miss Jenna Carr. She's an alpha insurance agent. She handles home, auto, life, and business. She's located in Macon, Georgia at 3312 Northside Drive, Suite C-160. Uh, let me tell you about Miss Jenna. Not only is she just the sweetest, cutest damn thing you ever seen, but she takes care of business like a true professional. I love dealing with her. Uh, she's done got me hooked up with life insurance because let's be honest, I'm going to need it. And uh, every time I've ever dealt with her, a complete pleasure. So y'all do me a favor now. Give her a call and go look her up on social media. Jenna Carr, Alpha Insurance Agency. And that phone number in Macon is 478 621-7065. Tell her that you need the same package, home, life, auto, all that good stuff that she hooked me up with. Thank y'all for listening to the Josh Terry Podcast. When I tell y'all I am excited and I am over the moon today, I've got Miss Georgette Jones talking to me right now. And I'm telling you, like I don't blush anymore. And you've got me blushing. You've got me just <laughs> smiling my fat ass off. Um, I am just over the top with this. Thank you for taking time to uh, to do this today. I really appreciate you inviting me. So it's going to be fun. Uh, the second you added me back on Facebook when I sent you a friend request, I was like, there's no way in hell that she <laughs> is going to message me back when I ask her about doing a show. There's no way. And you messaged me back so fast. I was just, I, I, uh, it was a great day. Well, I was excited to do it. So like I said, this will be fun. We'll have a good time. Yes, ma'am. Well, y'all have got a lot going on right now with the show and everything, don't you? Yeah, it has really been pretty crazy these last couple of months. Crazy in a wonderful way, but but definitely crazier than I'm used to. Um, so a lot of traveling. Um, I've always traveled, but not for things like this. I mean, this was my first big like LA premiere. And then we did something in New York and we had a special event in Nashville when it was um, starting off uh, the, the series. And it, it's just been such a long time coming that I think you kind of feel like it's never going to get here. You know, 11 years later, suddenly it's here and um, there's just been so much. And I never could have predicted how people were going to react. I was really worried about it. And I, and I didn't get super nervous until right before it was coming out. And then I was like, oh, you know, I hope everybody gets out of this what I want them to get out of this. And um, people have just overwhelmingly been very positive. There's always naysayers, but that's okay too. Um, you know, people have opinions, but it's really been overwhelmingly positive and we're just thrilled. I'll tell you, I was the, my happiest moment with the show was when I found out it was, they weren't going to make a movie out of it. It was going to be like a mini series. Cause I didn't think as much as I like walk the line and I'm not the biggest Johnny Cash fan, but I do like Johnny Cash. I didn't want it to be 
it seemed like there was so much to tell. There, right. there, there's so much story. I was so glad that it didn't end up being a two-hour movie. Me too. I mean, because to be honest, you know, everybody, I think people's mindsets have changed a lot in the last decade, thankfully. Um, with the way technology has gone with smart TVs and so many streaming services, it's gotten to where it's not that stigma. Um, used to, you were either a big star and so you made only movies. Uh, you didn't lower yourself to make TV shows. That was you showing how your career was ending. You know, that's just kind of like what people used to say and think so long ago. But um, it's not like that anymore. The biggest stars are making the coolest streaming um, shows. They really are high quality. They're so good. More people are able to watch at home. So when we went from potential movie to this, at first, I wasn't really sure what to think. I was a little bit nervous about it. And then the more I talked to Abe, Sylvia, who is the head writer and so incredibly nice and talented, he's like, we finally have some breathing space. You know, like he he actually pitched it as a five season um, series, which I wish whoa, so be, much that they would have done that. Yeah, we could have gotten into so much more detail and showed so much more and given some backstory and things as well. It would have been a lot better if we could have done that. However, um, I think there have been a few things that had come out that they were leery about doing biography-based style things, and they weren't sure if it was going to be well-received. And, um, you know, my mind, I'm thinking, they don't know country fans. Like, country fans are the best. Like, they really are loyal, and they do want to watch, and they do participate. And um, mom and dad's fans have always been so amazing. And so I think now maybe there's some people kicking themselves, wishing that they had done more. And I certainly wish we could have. But who knows? Maybe there'll be such an overwhelming response. We can talk them into doing some prequels or some uh, something else. Who knows? But that would be a big dream and wish. I, I think they'll have to. I, I do. I mean, it's I I know that they're you know telling the story very well at what they're doing, but there's times it's like I wanted a little bit more. Like yeah. I, I, but I, I I get it. I mean, it's be so hard to pack in their life, their it their is. whole life. Yeah, and in six episodes, because technically with certain services showing commercials, it's usually around forty five to forty seven minutes. So when you think about six episodes and only about forty five minutes each. Um, it still doesn't add up to maybe what double a movie would have been, which is still yeah. great, but so much life to talk about and to tell about and so little time to tell it in. But I, I do think that Abe Sylvia, um, so incredibly talented that he was able to really pull it all through and, and bring us all along in a quick, quick route to get to the end of the story. But um, he did a great job. The, the only the only criticism I have about the whole show is Jessica, she sings the Tammy songs very well. But uh old dude, I can't ever remember his name. It, it always Michael, yeah. Uh when he does the George songs, he just doesn't do them justice. That's the that's the old but who who can sing like George Jones? There's there's no there's nobody. You see, for me, it's like, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who work with mom and dad, industry people family, a lot of different people. And that has always been our biggest concern was how is this going to go over? Um, there's yeah. going to be those who are going to be like, oh, they're great. And then there's going to be those who are like, oh my God, that sounds nothing like whoever. And the way we decided and we talked about it was um, there's not a single person on this planet who's going to be able to sing like mom or dad, not, no. like not truly capture all that. And it was so important for us to get the right actors and actresses to portray their story. That was the main focus. And we thought, hopefully, what this will do is people will hear this and then they're going to want to run out and go listen to mom and dad's stuff and actually hear the real deal, which you can hear anywhere on any platform now. Um, and we wanted it to be more visually 
emotional and, and realistic by watching them do their own vocals because they sang live on every take at everything that they did. And I thought it was pretty brave of them to do considering the shadows that, you know, they were standing in to try to accomplish what they did, but like no one's ever going to sound just like mom or dad, but I, I think they both did a really good job considering all they had to oh, yeah. try to pull off. I love the old, uh, it's either Waylon Jennings or Merle Haggard quote. I can't remember exactly which one of them said it, but it was, uh, they, they were asked one time, if you could ever sing like anybody, who would it be? And they said, George Jones, cause there's nobody on the planet that could ever sing like George. I knew it was, yeah. I knew it was one of them. <laughs> and Waylon, gosh, you know, he was such a wonderful man and such a good friend to both my parents, but he and dad were, were awfully close. And so many stories my dad told me, and to be honest, you know, I hate to say it, there's, there's only a handful of people that you can point out and go, they were true and real people and, and good to my parents. And they, they weren't in anything for any other reason, but friendship. And Waylon is definitely um, on that list. He's, he was a wonderful man. What what was it like growing up around all these people that that I idolize? I mean, that, that everybody idolizes. Uh, I mean, it had to be an interesting childhood to say the least. Well, well, interesting is definitely a word that could describe it. There, there's lots of words, I guess. But to be honest, I think when I was younger, uh, my sisters and I, like we we had no idea how different our life really was. We just didn't know. Um, they were mom and dad to us. You know what I mean? I got in trouble. I'd have to, you know, do chores. I had things, you know, I thought I had the same kind of life everybody else did. Sorry. Hang on. I oh, know you're fine. You're, you're fine. I'm crazy. You <laughs> take your time. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I think it's Amazon. <laughs> package, so, hey, real life happens. Yeah, it happens. But, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> and now I got all sidetracked. But um, basically, when we were younger, we these people were mom and dad's friends they were their co-workers they were other artists we'd go to the opry and it was like going to their business office and it's so funny we were so casual about it back then because we didn't understand any significance to anything like we just didn't understand what we were surrounded by and i very distinctly have memories of being in the studio um here's billy Sherrill, genius brilliant i should have soaked up every second every moment of watching what he did but i'd be there after school doing my homework sitting on the couch behind the studio board and when i would be done i'd be laying there thinking they're singing that song for like the 23rd time i'm so tired of hearing this when am i going to get to go home and meanwhile i could have been sitting in a chair next to billy Sherrill watching what he was doing and taking it all in but hindsight you know when i look back i do of course realize how special it was that we got to meet so many incredible artists, so many people. We traveled and went to amazing places, and it really was a wonderful experience, that part of it. Um, there was a lot of other hard things, too, that people go through, but for the most part, I think we didn't know what we had or what was going on around us until we were much, much older. It, it just it blows my mind that these people are like aunt and uncles to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, I, that's what I'm sitting here imagining. That is just, it was so normal. It was just so normal for Merle or Waylon or somebody to come in and just be like, what's up, Unc? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I tell you what, the um, Loretta Lynn um, absolutely one of the most incredible people on this planet. And I mean, aside from the obvious amazingness of who she was as an artist, she was definitely one of the most down-to-earth, sweet, kind, loving, funny 
Um, just one of the nicest people you could ever meet. And she really was such a great friend to my mom. Um, mom, there were times, I, I will tell you this very quickly. Um, there was a time I saw Loretta a few years back and I went to go see her. It was, it was actually a horrible occasion. Her daughter had passed away and, no. and we to the funeral and we went to her home after to, to see her. And the first thing she said when she saw me, gave me a big hub was, we sure do miss your mommy, don't we? And I was like, yes, ma'am, we sure do. And we sat down and she talked to me about my mom for probably an hour. And, um, you know, it was just really sweet talking to her. And she was telling me about how one time my mom uh, had gotten sick. She had had to go to the hospital. And uh, while she was there, she knew that she wasn't going to be able to do some of the things she wanted to do. And which, by the way, at that time was, you know, can't smoke in the hospital. Mom was a smoker back then. So she's trying to open windows and blow smoke out the window. Um, and she wanted to talk to her friend Loretta. So mom actually ended up getting a cab from the from the hospital. She like uh, snuck out of her room, went and got a cab, had them take them all, all the way to Hurricane Mills to Loretta's house. She shows up at Loretta's door at like almost midnight. And um, of course, Loretta, she's like, I, of course, I let your mom in. There she is in her nightgown. And she's like, I, I got to take a couple hour break from the hospital. I want to come see and talk to you for a little bit. I can't take it anymore. So she's like, well, come on in. So they sat and talked for a while. And then mom went back to the hospital and checked herself back in and did whatever she had to do. But Loretta was one of her most favorite people and best friends. And um, she will always have a special place in our heart for that reason. Oh, my gosh. That is that is precious. I, I'm having a hard time coming up with things to talk to you about because I just want to talk to you. <laughs> well, I want, don't worry about it. Just, I want, I want to, I, I want to hear stories like that. That's it's, it's crazy. Um, it, your mom to me, the more that I've learned about her in the past couple years, uh, it's, it's the same thing with. I used to not like Willie Nelson's music because of his his voice, right? And it took me getting older and appreciating it. Right. I, I've always I've always liked George, but with Tammy, it's been the same thing. Is I didn't get it as a younger male, but now right. I'll sit I, I, now I'll sit here and listen to her stuff. And she had a bunch of um, how do I say this? A bunch of I don't give a damn in her songs. Yeah, she really did. And that story right there just makes it. This makes it. Just she was what she sung. I guess is what I'm saying. Is yeah. she she didn't give a damn, and I love that about. Her. Yeah. And she, you know, it was really funny because that's, I think that's one reason too, why mom admired certain people in the industry more than others is because she knew what they were really like. And she loved them so much for being so real and for being so spirited, you know, Tanya Tucker, Loretta Lynn. I mean, they were, there were certainly some of her favorite people. And it was, she would talk all the time about how she wished she could get away with some of the stuff Tanya said and got away with. She's like, I, I say what I think most of the time, but I can't say it all. She's like, but Tanya just says it. So she admired her for just being herself. And whenever she thought something, she wasn't afraid of what anybody thought. She was just herself, you know. Tanya Tucker to me is one of the most underrated artists ever. Yeah. I don't understand why she doesn't get more acknowledgement than she does. It's almost like people just know Delta Dawn and, it, oh, and, it, and, 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 and they don't, and they don't dive into the rest of her stuff. And yeah. it's like that song. I wish I had known the man a little better to turn my mom on. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. I mean, there's some fantastic songs. And as a matter of fact, um, from the time I was three years old until I was about 12, I sang Delta Dawn. Um, yeah. that, you know, mom would always call me out or dad would, and we'd, I'd sing Delta Dawn. Oh, that's so I'd cool. Sing Teddy Bear, you know, but, but usually it was Delta by Dawn. Red, by Red Survive? 
Uh, no, the other one. Um, um, I wish I was a teddy bear. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm having a brain fart right now. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I. Um, and I can't even think who's saying it now, just because. And that's that's a terrible thing. I'm an awful person, so I'll try to think of it in a minute. It's okay. It's okay. But uh, but anyway, um, but most of the time I sing Delta Dawn, and then so when I turned 12, I remember telling mom, Mom, I want to sing. You know, I want to sing something else. Can I do something different? And she was like, Well, yeah, you know, find something that you like and. And and we'll we'll get the band to work it up. We'll see we'll see what it is. So I started thinking about it, and so I come to mom and I tell mom I went I don't know if you're familiar with this song or not, but I told her I wanted to sing Tanya's song Feel Right. I, I don't know that I don't know that one. It's it, you'll have to go look it up. After I will. This. I'm I'm downloading it. I'm downloading it right now. I'm telling you, it's hilarious because my mom was like, uh, no, <laughs> you're you're 12 years old. You cannot sing that song. And at 12, I didn't get it. I was like, what's the big deal? It's just a song. Like, so what? And she's like, my 12-year-old daughter is, is not going to be singing those particular words. I mean, it was a very sexy song. We'll just uh, Okay, it. okay, okay. So mom was like, uh, no. And so I ended up, she didn't give me a choice then since I didn't pick good songs. <laughs> it wasn't about being a good song, but, you know, appropriate songs. Yeah. And so um, she ended up telling me I could sing Country Roads. So I okay. ended up singing Country Roads for a few years after that till I was old enough to sing something a little more grown up. <laughs> so I guess after George and Tammy split and they were still performing together that's when you would i guess you were old enough at that point because you're their only you're their only child right yes okay I'm the only one between the two of them yeah okay. so that's when i guess that time period is when you would go on stage with them is like the years after they divorced right yeah i mean i i was born in 70 they were together till set early 75 and okay. so um i started singing at three so it was Probably when I was about four or five years old, um, when they, yeah, I guess I was not quite five when they divorced. Yeah. And, um, so I would either sing with mom most of the time. There were a few occasions when I was a little bit older, like around 13 and 14, I sang some with my dad and I got to travel and see him a little bit then. And, um, he always liked me to do, um, the Linda Ronstadt song. Um, oh, and I'm trying to think of, um, there you go and baby. Here am I with you. I'm trying to think of the title again. Um, but it was such a great song and he loved that. So he didn't even want me to sing. He wanted me to sing that song. So, um, but it was always such a pleasure to be able to sing with either or both of my parents. I loved it. Was, was the stories that you hear about him not wanting to perform? I'm not talking about him not showing up. I don't care about that. I, I love the stuff that I've read that he didn't want to be on stage. It, no. It, Dad, dad wanted to sing what he wanted to sing, when he wanted to sing it, where, for who. Like, for him, he would have been happier at a honky-tonk with no one having any clue who he was, um, just singing, you know, Lefty Frizzell and, you know, Roy Acuff and Hank Sr. And, like, he would have been happier doing that. And it's so funny because, um, you know, we talked about the series. One of the things about it that I, I felt really happy that they showed accurately Mom felt like she worked her whole life to get where she wanted to be, to try to get to Nashville. And like, that was, that was like the goal to get there. And all dad wanted to do was get out of it. Like he just wanted to get as far away as he could, but yet he still knew he had to make a living. You know, he still knew he had to do stuff and music was the way he was going to do it. Um, but it, it was just that not his thing. Like he, he loved to sing and he loved to perform, but he hated all the attention that he got and a lot of the other stuff that goes along with being well-known. And it was, that was a lot harder on him. I, th for some reason, I just think that is the best thing ever. 
<laughs> I, I, of all the artists and everything that I'm around and you, you as well, it's just like, everybody's dying to get on that stage. Yeah. It, it, everybody wants the big stage. It's like, a, <clears throat> I, I, I compare George to like a, uh, like an actual painter, like an actual artist that just wants to create the art, put yeah. it up in a museum and then not go ever look at it or mess with it again. And yeah. that, and that's how I see him. I feel like he, like you said, he knew what he had to do to make a living, but he didn't care. No. And that, that was a good thing, but it was also to his detriment. Yeah. A lot, you know what I mean? Cause like yeah. he made a lot of people mad. <laughs> I know he pissed off a lot of people, but at the same time, um, I know that he struggled with that, you know, and I think that had a lot to do with why he drank and why he did what he did because he actually never drank growing up. You know, my grandfather was a terrible alcoholic and he was not the most pleasant man to be around. My dad had a very difficult childhood for that reason. And so he never really, you know, wanted alcohol. And when he started singing in the bars and stuff and started really getting going and people liked him, he was he realized how nervous he was to have to stand up in front of people and, and do that. And he was also struggling in the beginning with, am I going to sound like Hank Sr.? Am I going to try to sound like Roy Acuff? Because those were his heroes. But yet he, he knew he also needed to be himself. And that was hard for him. He was scared to just put that out there and be himself. And so people would buy him drinks because they liked his music. And so he started taking them because he realized, oh, well, one or two drinks is all right. But three or four makes me not nervous anymore. And I just can just do what I do then. And so that is kind of how all that started, but it, it had, it all goes back to him being so nervous about really having to be in front of people to do what he, you know, he loved singing, but it wasn't, he didn't love so much about how people directed it very personally to him. Uh, we, we talk about uh, anxiety, depression, a lot of mental health awareness on the show. A lot of it with veterans and stuff. We have a lot of those organizations awesome. on here. And I've always thought that if, how'd I put it? Back in the day, I think, it, and I'll ask you because I shouldn't say I think because I don't want to like say that he had it or whatever. But in my opinion, that's what I think George was going through. I think that he was probably one of the first artists that had anxiety and depression, absolutely, and, and whatever. It just wasn't diagnosed or nobody gave a damn back then. And that's why I've always thought with like the no show stuff. I think that's just a bad rap. I, I don't. I don't like, I think that it's funny. And I think that he's an outlaw and a badass because he didn't, <laughs> he didn't do, he didn't show up sometimes cause he didn't want to. But yeah. I also, I also think it was like anxiety, depression, mental health stuff that it he was. was going through. And there were times where you'd find him 20 minutes outside of the huge theater. He was supposed to be playing in whatever amphitheater or whatever. I mean, he'd be at some dive bar and people would be hooting and hollering. Can't believe that he's there with 20 people in there singing and drinking and hanging out with everybody because he wanted to do that rather than put himself up, you know, on the big stage. And like you said, um, it's a shame that we didn't have more support for people back then. And, and I'm glad that you do talk a lot about mental health. I was a registered nurse for 17 years and that is a platform I would scream about if anybody yeah. would listen for a long time, because it's been a very big uh, deal in my family, myself, so many people that I know, and um, I wish that we would spend more time trying to help people with that. Um, it's just as important as someone with high blood pressure getting help yeah. to prevent no, stroke. So. No, no shit. I've got both of them, high blood pressure and anxiety. Well, I got so, you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it had to be, speaking of that, like it had to be kind of a huge weight on you growing up being, being their child. 
I, I'm sure that everybody just had so much pressure on you as being the next Tammy or the next George or whatever. I, I'm sure you had a huge weight on your shoulders growing up. As I got older, the more I felt it. Um, when I was really little, I didn't even understand what was going on. Like yeah. I'd go on stage and sing and they sang and it didn't seem scary at all at first. But then I started hearing all the stories, um, whether I was supposed to hear them or not. Do you know what I mean? I'm hearing people talk and they were talking about, I mean, literally the day I was born, Billy Sherrill sent like 12 dozen roses and a contract to my parents, basically saying, just make sure, you know, she's got to sign this when she turns 18. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, and so it, it was, I knew that was there, but it, somewhere around, I think seven or eight, I realized people were paying attention because then I would hear people say, oh, how cute. She phrases a little bit every now and then like her dad or, oh, she hit that high note and that reminds she must have got that from her mom or whatever. But it started making me think about it. And I'm like, oh, people are comparing me. You know what I mean? And, and I got to where when mom would call me out, I'd be so anxious. Like, I'd just be like, ugh. And I'll, I'll tell you a story. One of my most embarrassing moments as a kid, of course, you know, you're a kid, but I was probably eight years old and I had traveled to Europe with my mom. Um, she was doing a big tour over there. And so we were in Germany at, um, at, a, at, a, at a military base, huge, huge military base. Mom was doing a, a show there. And first of all, I'm a tomboy. So I always hated it when mom would dress me in these super frilly, you know, dresses and patent leather shoes and all that stuff. So I was already uncomfortable. Um, but I start, I remember that's probably the first place I really started paying attention and hearing and noticing people were like talking about me. And I, I didn't like that. And I remember not knowing when mom was going to call me out. So when she did, I got so nervous. The first thing I thought of was, oh, I've got to go pee. Like, you know how you, when you, when you get nervous, especially as a kid. So I remember going up and, and like tugging on her dress and her leaning over me, whispering in her ear. Cause I didn't, I don't want to say on the microphone, Hey, got to go to the bathroom. So I'm telling mom, you know, can I come back and sing in a minute? And it was all just because I was terrified to get up there and sing it all. And so she's, oh, sure, honey, it's fine. And as I'm walking off the stage, she tells the entire auditorium, she'll be back in a few minutes. She has to go to the little girl's room. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> my God. I was like, I can't believe mom just told, you know, thousands of people that, you know, I'm going to do that. But it just, I got very nervous at that point from then on. And I was probably, I guess I was 27 when mom passed away and, it was after that before I finally got comfortable to sing. Like I sang here and there for a few things when I felt like I had to, or I was supposed to. And I always loved singing and writing, but it made me so nervous. And I finally, something, a switch clicked. And I thought, I don't care anymore. Like if somebody hates the way I sing, that's okay. There are people who hate Elvis and who hate Whitney Houston's voice and who hate all these other, that's okay. Everybody's not going to like the same thing. And I had to stop worrying about people comparing me. And it, so it kind of took maturity and getting a little older. And then it still took me probably another decade to develop confidence on stage to try to feel comfortable doing it. So I can't imagine my mom and dad having that kind of anxiety and then being thrust in front of hundreds of thousands of people and having you know the media attention and all the other stuff that they had to go through so I can I saw it a teeny teeny little level compared to what they had to deal with well well Tammy did she love the stage did she love the the being in front of everybody yes and no like I think she loved performing like she once she um, and I'll tell you what happened with that really to be honest let me backtrack a little bit she started off of course on the country boy Eddie show 
Um, and she always knew she wanted to sing. She always thought Nashville was her goal. She really wanted to do that. But when she started singing on the Country Boy Eddie show, um, there was a time when she actually told the piano player there, um, she wished that there was a surgery they could do to cut out her terror and her fear of like being in front of people. She's like, I love to sing. I just, I don't want to do it in front of anybody. Like, you know what I mean? Like she, you know, it's kind of hard to not do that. Um, and Country Boy Eddie actually had to tell her, please don't make me fire you to make you go to Nashville. Like you need to just go. Like, I don't want to be yeah. the guy who fires you that makes you like, now you don't have a choice. So like, please just go. And if you watch some of those early recordings on Hee Haw, it's pretty funny because you can see, and this was me in that video with dad when I was like 10 years old. It's like this, just you're singing and you're just kind of looking at the camera and there's like no expression. And it's just kind of like mom, She, you can tell she looked terrified in the late sixties, but she finally did a thing where a guy came and helped her put some of her songs together in like an actual show. Um, she knew what point of the stage to go to, what she was going to try to say then, how she was going to, you know, open up to the next song. And it became more of a rehearsed play for her. You know, it kind of gave her a way to figure out how to connect without having to worry so much about what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Where am I going to walk? Like, how am I going to do a good job? And it, it took some of that nervousness out and she she felt more confident and you can tell that she felt so much more confident after that part um, when she started learning how to do that that's cool um <clears throat> excuse me uh i don't know if you know this uh i read this yesterday when i was like kind of prepping for this or whatever did did you know that your dad and conway twitty are the only two artists to have a number one in the 50s 60s 70s 80s and 90s they're, read, they're, they're the only amazing. artist ever. I think that's so cool. And because first of all, my, uh, like dad and Conway were great friends and Conway was an amazing artist. I mean, and he did rock and country music. So what a, an amazing um, artist. But yeah, that's so weird. It's like when you hear things like that, you know, I kind of have to remind I'm like, that's my dad. How cool is that? You know, it's like just a really amazing thing to accomplish and, and, Two people have, have accomplished it. I'm really proud for sure of my dad. Yeah. I, I People get mad at me at my studio all the time because uh, there's two artists that get played on repeat here. And it's uh, your dad and Keith Whitley. That's, oh, I can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's it. Like this, this is going to sound super weird when I'm about to tell you super weird. So don't, don't freak out on me. But like, <laughs> I, I, I had to do a wheel recently, like just because I'm I'm 35 and uh, life insurance and all this kind of stuff. People's got me thinking about mortality and all this kind of shit. Got to be a grown up at some point, a little bit. <laughs> so, so like I had to put like what I wanted to do when I die or whatever, like being cremated and all this kind of stuff. And uh, everybody thought I was bullshitting, but I, I literally have in my wheel now that when I when I die. I want some of my ashes scattered at my grandparents' grave. And then I want some at your dad's and some at Keith Whitley's. And they were like, why? And it's like, because <laughs> nobody understood it. And I was like, because I want to hear the music for all eternity. Like, that's, that's, so like, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things to where um, I just never stopped playing his music and people come in here and they're like, Oh, I thought we were going to party. I thought we were going to hang out. And, uh, like, I don't, I don't, I'm tired of hearing sad songs. And your dad had the ability to make a sad song, the best, song, which I love sad songs. I don't like, That's me. I That's don't me. like, I don't like happy music whatsoever. Like, it, 
It, if I I'm, could do the next album, like I would, I would pick all slow ballads because that's what I love to sing. It's it's my favorite thing in the world. When I'm trying to do any tribute shows and stuff for mom and dad, yeah. I do the bigger hits that are faster. Um, and I try to get some of those in there. But it's like if I just had my my druthers, as my meme would say, I would just fill a set list full of ballads. So I get that. <laughs> what what is uh, and I'm not gonna ask you your favorite. From your mom and dad, what's like some of your all-time favorites from them? Um, I always say with my dad, walk through this world with me. I just oh, yes. Mm. One of the best ever. Um, and if I had to pick a fast one, and the reason why I pick it, it is for sentimental um, value because my children, I have twin boys. And okay. um, at, when they were little, we had to drive like 45 minutes one way to get them to school every day. And so we would listen to this one radio station. And I hope my friend Bear O'Brien's out there listening because he, he worked at a Columbus radio station back in the day. And he was awesome. That's how we actually met was through my kids calling and requesting their grandpa's song all the time. That's and he cool. found out who they were and he just thought it was hilarious. And so, but but they would always want to hear either Love Bug or, or we called it the Corvette song, you know, the uh, Love Bug because they just thought that was the funniest thing they ever heard. And they loved how he would, you know, dip down and, and do all that. But walk through this world with me um, is my personal favorite. Um, Duet wise, take me. My dad, of course, recorded that solo. He, that was um, a song he co-wrote uh, and he did it then as a duet with my mom. And it's always been my favorite duet. And I like some of the other things like Southern California and, um, like some of the fun stuff that everybody loves, the fast things, they're great. But like, I always go back to those slow ballads and um, with the exception of one um, and most people associate it with other artists. Cause back in the day, I think lots of people would record the same song. It wasn't like it is today. Um, but have you ever heard something to brag about? I don't know. Uh, I don't yeah, know. That's something, I... something to brag about. I'm putting it on you for homework. Okay. <laughs> um, don't worry. There will be no test. I won't bother you. <laughs> but, um, but something to brag about is one of my favorites. And it's because there's a line in there where they're just really getting at it. And they're talking about, we'll feast on cornbread, butter beans, and lunch meat. Now, if that's in a song and they sing it, that's hilarious. And so I, I love that so much. But mom, um, till I can make it on my own, till I get it right. Um, and I always loved one of a kind in another lonely song, all slow songs. So like, you know, another thing, like I just go down that road. If I'm, if I'm in that mood, I'll just list up the ballads. And if you were to, if you were to grab my phone and you were to put it on shuffle with your mom or dad, there's not a happy, there's not a fast one. <laughs> there, I, yeah. There, there's not there. Uh, I think I've got like the, the, the fastest song that I have of them is uh, your dad is old red. I love your oh, dad. Yeah. I love your dad's version of that. It is great. And it's so funny too. Like uh, when it came to the, the, the ballads, dad used to always call them the sad slopping tear jerkers. That's what he called them. He's like, I always like the sad slopping tear jerkers. So he'd always tell me that it was funny. So he's the same way. So I, I can't, I have to say, I got that honestly from both my parents. They always emotionally connected to a song more when it was real like that, you know, emotional songs are the sad songs more so. Well, let me ask you, what is it like knowing that your mom and dad both have like a top 10 song of all time with stand by your man. And then he stopped loving her today. I mean, everybody says that's the number one country song of all time. And I, I got to agree with them. Uh, like, what is that like? It's crazy weird. Like I'm so proud. Like it, it really is amazing. And I like those songs have been archived in our nation's, you know, like 
Library of Congress. Like that's one of the coolest things that I think about when I think about um, how my parents' music has become so iconic that our actual government has decided to archive those songs so that if ever a million years down the road, someone wants to know what was going on back in the day, these were the things that they cataloged as to be something really special. That That's just a really amazing thing. And I'm just, I couldn't be any prouder. Yeah. Between he stopped loving her today. I think that is the greatest song of all time, regardless of artist or whatever. I'm sure Elvis has got something up there. I'm not. I love Elvis. Oh, you're fixing to get so many people sending you who the best and what the best is. They can all kiss my ass because I know what the best is. I, I know. I know what it is. Uh, he, he just like I guess where I'm from. Growing up, we had to hear our grandparents listen to those songs. Then our dads and moms listen to those songs. And now I'm listening to those songs. And I've got an 11-year-old daughter that has to listen to your mom and dad all the time. And it's just like, how does that happen? Like, how how does the music of someone like that? Because now you get an artist that's popular for at the most 10 years. Yeah. You know, like, you don't get those. Because it's cookie-cutter stuff. It's not, yeah. I mean, my personal opinion, and I know, I mean, I get a lot of people who want to, we harp on it. I'll, I'll get yeah. on online and when we have chats and talks, I, I will go on and on about the state of country music today um, or the lack thereof. Um, you I'm, know, with, I'm, I'm with you. I get in trouble in that community all yeah, the time from running yeah. my mouth. And I'm not saying that they're bad or like they're terrible artists or that all the songs are crap. I'm not, I mean, there are definitely some songs that are crap. I'm not going to point them out, but there's definitely some there, that I'm there's like, a, there's how a did lot. that make it to radio? Yeah. But, you know, my biggest thing is, you know, my dad's biggest passion towards the end, and it, it used to really bother him so much. And I feel like it's kind of my job to keep pointing this out. Um, country music has lost its identity. Yeah, It's not that we are mad about people evolving. If I hear that word one more time, I'm just going to have to, you know, reach out and smack something. But it's like, when you evolve, you still got to know where the roots come from. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I've heard rock evolve my whole life and I can still tell when I hear it on the radio, that's rock music. I'm not yeah. confused. I know exactly what it is. Um, but when you hear something and I'm actually looking at the radio station to see, did I stop on a different, I don't know what I'm listening to. And this is called country. Um, there's yeah. a problem there. You don't get an apple seed and it turns into an orange. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just feel like there should be room for everyone. We don't have to have cookie cookie cutter success that everyone sounds the same and uses the same you know clap tracks and the same whatever's all that crap I just it's so nice to think about and I sound like such an old person but I'm just gonna say it no you don't it's an organic way of getting in a studio when everybody played together and they did what they did best they all created with their instruments and they figured out what the best feel was together and they created history and they made really amazing music and now they're dictated uh, you play this and you play that. No, I don't like that because that's not what I decided I wanted to hear. That guy probably doesn't even play whatever that instrument is, just saying. So, you know, it's just, I miss the good old days of the Billy Sherrills who knew which musicians to hire for the sound he wanted. And he allowed them the space and creativity to make it amazing. And um, I just don't think that happens as, as much anymore. Well, and I, I think it's a Well, I think people forgot that country music is, it's not just music. It's a way of life. Like, yeah. get, like growing up, it was you, if you were a country kid, 
if you lived on a farm, if you lived on old dirt road, you lived in a small little rural community or whatever, the songs that were sung were about where you were from. Like yeah. that, that's why you identify with the heartbreak, yeah. the hurt of country music is why you listen to it because it's real life. And yeah, every, I, every and every once in a while, you still get someone who puts out a real life song, but for the most part, it, it's not real life anymore. Yes, there's a few out there for sure. I, I, my personal favorites of if anybody out there right now, I love Cody Johnson. Oh, absolutely! He is a God loving, family loving, country loving, you know, rope and rodeo guy who's the real deal, who actually sings in pitch and doesn't need auto tune on stage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like he's, I think he's fantastic. Um, you know, the Mo Pitneys. The people like that, I mean, I think they're so talented. And I'm just so proud that someone like Cody was able to prove to the, I mean, this is right here is the cookie cutter we should be using. Yeah, no this shit. This is a man who made it in Texas. And if you make it, and I'm telling you, you make it in Texas, they are the most loyal country fans. They still want to hear it. They still play it on the radio stations. They're not trying to, you know, do what everybody else in country radio is doing. And he had such a great cult following. He was able to get whatever he wanted in Nashville. And I think that is so badass and awesome. I'm, I applaud him every day for that. And I wish they would allow more people that opportunity to show what they can do and what kind of audiences they can have. Because, you know, I'm 52 years old. Not that country music is for, for people my age and, you know, specifically, but I know that for me, I grew up buying the CDs and the albums and wanting to have the album art and wanting all the lyrics on the inside and all that cool stuff we used to do and get and all that's been lost. And I feel like we lose so much more every day with technology for our music. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like auto-tune is a cool thing if you use it for what it really was intentionally meant to do for a tiny little tweak here or there, you know, for the studio. But if you've got artists who really aren't that great and you're having to so tune them that they sound like T-Pain on their rec recordings on the radio, um, I think that's a problem. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like more people should be able to do what they do without all that extra help. I mean, isn't it kind of like doping? Isn't that like yeah. steroids in, yeah. in the Olympics? <laughs> no, I agree with you. A hundred, a hundred percent. I I don't I don't like the state of I got to watch how I say this because I've got a lot of friends that listen to this show that are in country music. And if you're, if you're one of my friends, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking oh. about you, what I'm about to say. Cause I, I, I love y'all and I think y'all are great, but I think it changed from being the music business to when it turned over to the entertainment business. That's when we lost. Oh, yeah. That's, that's yeah, when, yeah. that's when you lost just the, just the heart and soul of it. And yeah. I'm telling you, I get mad about it every single day because this is a sad fact, but I think it is actual a fact. I don't think George makes it today in country music. And I don't, oh, and I don't, and, and how I, does that happen? Yeah. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean by I feel like people are missing out. I, I know yeah. right now I could probably tell you at least 10 different people that I have seen perform downtown or that I have worked with and that I know who have been busting their butts for a decade trying yeah. to make it. And they are 10 times the singer of most of the people that I've heard on the radio. And I just find it incredibly sad that they're not able to be out there for everyone in the world to hear. Um, you know, it's, it's their time to shine should be right now, but there's people like, uh, Daryl Singletary. Who oh, I felt good like God, yes. He just missed that that sweet spot by a couple of years. Maybe if he'd gotten in there about five years quicker, he would have blown up 
as big as anybody you could imagine. I, I, I think he's also one of those that just missed that timeline just by a hair. And it's such a shame, but I, now you don't get that opportunity unless you look a certain part and have a story to sell. Um, dad's favorite line was to say 30 years ago, Nashville was cowboys and carol girls with guitars on their backs, um, walking down music row, going to their writing appointments with their pad and pencils in their hand. Now they're, there's just suits everywhere with briefcases who don't know anything about country music just trying to sell it and it's 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 a shame that we've gotten to business instead of artistry i hope that it rolls back around i don't see it rolling back around but i sure as hell hope so because every once in a while you'll you'll get a song you'll get somebody that just revitalizes it yeah and one, one of the things that i take pride in on my show is back when i used to work in radio you would have your log or whatever with the top 40 whatever bullshit was on there and it was not what the people were requesting like it it was yeah it, it, it's just like how does that happen how, yeah, how, we're how, too stupid to know what we like yeah yeah, yeah exactly radio exactly dictate. and now i'm just i'm hoping and praying that the people that are actually making country music and i don't i don't knock the other shit i don't like it no, not at but, all but but i think there should a, be a place for everyone I, well i don't i think there should be a separate genre I, yeah. I, I think that there should be, this is traditional country music. This is what right. we, there shouldn't be a cutoff period of when country was country. Like from Hank Sr. to your dad, to Travis Tritt, to, to, to anybody that's still doing country music, just say this is country music and everything exactly. else. Let's just label it something else. Let's just call it whatever the fuck you want to call it. That's what Dad it. said. Call yeah. it new country or call it yeah. contemporary country, whatever you want to call it. But he's like, just give it another name because it's not. Like if, yep. you've, if you've got all these, you know, rock whatever in it and someone's yeah. rapping half the song and then you get, you've yeah. got a steel guitar or a fiddle that's on there for like five seconds somewhere just so you can say, hey, it's yeah. got steel, steel guitar on it. That doesn't make it country. Just it makes don't. It better probably, but it still doesn't, you know. I don't care what you call it. Just don't call it country. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to write that down and write that later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, like, and, and like he said, the rapping through it, there's like three people I can think of off the top of my head that, and it's not rapping, but it's talking through a song. And that was your right. dad, Conway and George Strait. Those are the only yeah. three people that if you're not singing, they, they I could listen to them talk a whole damn song. <laughs> yeah. Talking used to be a thing. Like that's always been a little bit of part of country all yeah. along, but it's been part of telling a story. Yeah. Which you know, I'm I'm not anti-rap even. Just you know, rap is rap. I'm, you're not going to yeah. hear mom or dad songs on a rap rap station. I'm no. pretty sure people listening to a rap station would be annoyed if you played Dolly Parton or Ray Stevens on it. I'm just saying, you know, it wouldn't be their thing. So I don't understand why we're trying to embrace every other genre possible for the sake of supposedly trying to make money. I just, I don't, I don't get it. It's just be what we are. It's like, I don't think that country music is an exclusive club. So that that's, that's right. probably what this is fixing to sound like. I'm going to sound like a bitter old bastard right here, <laughs> but I don't think we have to take every other genre and mix it with country to make everybody feel happy or make right. everybody feel like, oh, okay, you're involved. Or right. or what I don't think like when if you take your mom, your dad, the greats of country music, and you put them in today's world in Nashville, they don't make it. And that is sad. Yeah. That, that, that it doesn't make sense that you can have somebody rapping on a country or that stupid ass song. What was it? Uh, Old Town Road. 
<laughs> I hate that song. I, uh, and it came out while I was still working in radio. And I'm telling you, I used to have to cuss kids out. Like I'd be like, I'm not playing this shit on country radio. Another, I love country music. What's your favorite song? Old Town Road, shut up. Yeah, Just- no, I'm, I've gotten a lot of trouble. <laughs> A lot of trouble about that. Yeah, I just, it, it's sad. It's, but also, I was raised by people. Uh, I was raised by my whole family that listened to traditional country. And yeah. it, it spoiled me. Even what's funny is back in the day, you used to have like an artist like Cher or anybody like this, and they would end up wanting to make country albums. Now, yeah. you, now you see people going from country music and saying, oh, I want to do pop. Or I want right. to, I want to do whatever. Everybody used to want to be in country, but when they came to country, they did country. And that's now, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Ray Charles. Oh my oh, gosh, God. country album, amazing country album. So yes. There's, there's lots of people who have done country and, and done it justice, done a really great job seeing country music. But like you said, it's not like you can't just call it country because you decided it is. It still has to actually have some type of recognizable country sound. And um, I'm cool for anybody singing whatever they want to sing. But you know, I just think when it comes to anything being played on the radio, I just know that actual country music is not going to be played on anything else yeah. and like hell you, you can hardly get country music played on country no radio these days. so you know it, it's, it's hard enough it's funny you brought up ray charles because one of my favorite songs is with him and your dad and it is uh we didn't see a thing yes it's a oh my song. god it, it is it, fun it yes. is funny it's funny that ray charles is singing it like, yes. yeah like it's just oh but that's what i, I just don't get why more people aren't trying to do the country thing. Like right. that, they they want to do the image and all this other shit that they're trying to do in Nashville now. But one one thing that I talk about a lot on this show, especially with artists, is are you trying to make a dollar or are you trying to have a legacy? And I feel like with your family, it is a it's legacy. Like you're you're the first princess of country music. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, like your mom and dad are king and queen of country music. And I just don't think people view it as that anymore. I, I will always yeah. take somebody trying to have an all-time song. I would rather have those all-time songs that never get... Jamie Johnson is about the only guy that I can think of that just has said to hell with it. He's doing it his way. And he might, yeah. go, he might go broke doing it, but, yeah. but he's never well, gave and, in. And Alan Jackson has stayed true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Alan Absolutely, Jackson for sure. But not many, because most people start feeling the pressure from their labels or else they get dropped because yeah. of that. That they, you know, you got to go bro or go home or you got to go contemporary. It's like, no, you don't. Like my dad, and I'm so proud. um, You know, that's one of the things that he uh, said to Alan before he passed away. He actually um, told him, you know, just whatever you do, please don't let anybody start pressuring you to do something different. Keep being yourself. Keep making the kind of music you make. Because my dad loved Alan and his music and thought that he was one of the few people still out there being true and being real with country. And I'm just so proud that he did that, that he has yeah. stayed true to himself the whole time. It's not like I don't, I didn't already love Alan Jackson, but when I heard the story about how he was told not to play one of your dad's songs yeah. at one of the award shows, and yeah. then Alan goes on stage and does it anyway. Best, oh. most badass outlaw moment in the history of award shows, oh in my, my personal God. opinion. And my dad actually, like, he wouldn't even watch any award show. He was annoyed and through with it. Because at the time, what had happened, Choices, you know, Choices had actually been nominated oh for a God. Grammy. 
And, and it was the song that they wanted him to sing on the CMAs. And basically they decided they were going to only let him have 20 seconds. 20 seconds of his song is what they wanted dad to sing. And normally dad wouldn't have been as upset about it. If other people were doing the same thing, there were a few people who were going to have to do their 20 seconds, yeah. but there were, I won't say who, but there were other artists there who were getting full songs with pop and rock artists to perform their crossover stuff, but yet they were going to give dad 20 seconds. So in his mind, he was like, I'm not trying to sound cocky or arrogant or being rude, but you know, if I can't sing my full song, we've got people from other genres doing stuff. That's not even country. You just count me out. I'll stay at home. I don't, I don't want to bother with that. So he stayed at home and was literally, he had like a little sitting room off of his bedroom where he'd get in his pajamas and get back in his recliner and watch usually Matlock or uh, walk <laughs> Texas Ranger or Andy Griffith. So he would be watching TV and literally um, Nancy was watching the award show in the bedroom, like next door. So when Alan went out there, started his song, but then stopped and did all did choices. She, when it started, she jumped up and ran and told him he's hurrying up trying to flip on the, the channel, but he just stood up and he was just like, he said that it made him so proud and just made him feel so good about the fact, number one, his friendship with Alan. He just thought Alan was amazing for doing that for him. But to see the audience's reaction as well, everybody was happy with that. And it was a big moment for my dad. It meant so much to him. And what was really funny was if you watch, you know, Alan just kind of leaving the stage when, you know, it wasn't even like he was going to have anything to say about it. And there were certain people there who told him, you'll never be invited to a award show again. He's like, I don't care. Don't invite me. He went to his bus and he went home. Like he didn't even stay for the rest of the award show. And that's a kind of loyalty that unfortunately I don't know that we see a lot of anymore. But I, I thought it was one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed. And I was so proud that that happened for dad. Yeah. I'm telling you that I love outlaws anyway. And I, I love <laughs> anybody that does the shit their way. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's always blown my mind when you have somebody like that and they've made it to where they're at by being themselves and they've made money and they've been successful. And then you try to change them. Then you try to critique them. Then you try to make them be who you want them to be. And it, it's yeah. almost like the people that do that, they always fail. Are there never course, as yeah. yeah? Because you're not being genuine anymore. And we I, can, as a listener, you can hear that. Oh, you absolutely. Know, someone's not singing what they're really wanting to sing, and it's not emotional for them. Yeah, absolutely. Speak, speak, speaking of Alan Jackson, so I know that it's a Hank song, but blues man. Oh yeah. Let me tell you, every time someone is around me and they ask to hear blues man, I always play George and Dolly. To, to to me, that is the blues man. I don't know why more people don't know that they have that song cut. It, it's just perfect. I'll don't... tell you why they don't know. Dolly and dad were not of the age that they wanted to push it. Like, yeah. and that's a shame. Like they would do minimal things like, oh, well, we have a contract. I guess we have to do this or that. We yeah. have to actually put something out somewhere, but no one would ever do all the follow-up they normally do with records and you know, all the grassroots yeah. stuff, trying to get things out there. And I remember being so proud of my dad. That was a very, very big moment for my dad and for me being proud of him because there was a time in his life where it used to just make him angry when people would bring up stuff like the no show or bringing up things from his past that he 
obviously wasn't proud of and, you know, didn't want to have to think about and dwell on. And so there was a, a long period of time where that kind of thing would just make him frustrated. And then he finally got to a point where he was sober and he had accepted, you know, his past for what it was. Yes. Did he make mistakes? He did. Yeah. But it certainly didn't define who he was then or who he was going to be. And so he was finally okay with some of that. So when he and Dolly recorded that and did the video, for those who maybe haven't seen the video, go watch the video. Um, it's There's a spot where they show that clip that my dad used to get so mad when people would want to show that clip. Um, he had left the bar. Yes, he had been drinking, but because people knew it was him and not just Joe Blow on the street, they called a news uh, radio station, a broadcast station, not just the cops. So that when the cops went there to pull him over, they had cameras and you can see in his face, number one, he was drinking. So he wasn't in the best mood anyway, but he was obviously really put off by the fact someone um, pulled him over just to get that footage. And he never would have even discussed that much less been okay with using it in a video up to that point. But because dad had, had made so much progress, I was so proud of him for being able to say, yep, that's what I did. And this song is perfect for showing that. Cause the, if you listen to the lyrics to that song, I mean, he was basically like, yep, that's what it was. And I love that song. And I think Dolly and him did such an incredible job together. Of course I love Dolly. I don't think yeah. Dolly can do wrong. So, you know, I just thought it was fantastic. If there was ever a song meant for George Jones, it's that one. Like it, it, and the fact that they turned it into a duet. Like I that, know, right? That, that song should have been a duet in the first place. And I, 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 agree. I and I never thought of it that way until I heard George and Dolly do it. But then, th then listening back at it, it's like, oh, my God, how did they miss this? How did somebody back in the day not go to Hank and say, hey, look. <laughs> We got to get, we got to get Dolly now, or we've got to get somebody in. The only thing that would have made that better if it, you, if it would have been George and Tammy. That, oh, that, that would have been so awesome. That would have been the only thing I could think of as far as song wise goes, that would have been better because the lyrics are just, it seems absolutely. like what they lived. It seems like what they lived. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And, and that's, it, it is. I, I definitely love that song. It's just, and when you watch the video with it, it makes it so much more powerful. Kind of like, I think when people hear who's going to fill their shoes, it's oh. a great song. But when you see that video with it, it's just, oh, wow, man. That's just, it really the gets you in a whole the, new way. The yeah. second he gets off that bus in yeah. that video, oh, my. You're, you're yeah. like, like, I know I'm a mega fan anyway, so I'm fangirling out over this anyway. <laughs> but I'm a big fan too, so it's all good. I am. I'm awfully proud. It's your dad had the capability of touching you when he sung a song like you it, a lot of people sing stuff but you don't think that that they went through it you don't think that they right. actually lived it like you you can't tell by the way that they're singing or whatever like you don't believe it anything that your dad sung that was just gut-wrenching you think that he lived it like and you could feel yeah. it in the song yeah that's because i think you know both he and mom but you know I know what you're talking about for sure with dad. It's like for them to really want to cut a song in the first place yeah. or sing it, they had to connect to it. It's not like today. Today, a lot of times people are told this will be your single. <laughs> and you're like, I hate this song. Um, yeah. and for me. And, and, and I know for them, for sure. 
you can't make a song really good if you don't somehow connect to it, whether yeah. or not it's you personally or your best friend went through this or your sister or your uncle or whatever. If you can't really connect to what's going on in the song, hard to be emotional with that. And you can recognize that instantly when you hear someone being passionate or emotional, sad, happy, whatever it is. And you can actually see it in their face and you can hear it in their voice. Um, there's just a huge difference. And it's like listening to someone do a karaoke version of a song and someone actually singing it yeah. as the artist. And, and that's the difference between emotion and connection with music. I, I'll tell you my second favorite part in the show. The first part is when, and they did it perfect in my, my mind. Whenever my favorite part is whenever George looks at the key rack and she had took all the keys and he realizes that the lawnmower, it's just, a, it's just a look that he gives. It, it's just a, oh, I got this. She forgot. He did that so perfectly. But my, my second favorite part is when they show um, Tammy riding stand by your man. Yeah. And, and the like, it's so powerful the way they did it. And that's like one of the moments that I feel like that is exactly how it happened. Like yeah. it, it's exactly how, so like the connecting to a song, when you realize it, you know, all of us have, have had a messed up childhood or most of us anyway. Um, yeah. There's none of us that are so. No, yeah. I'm, just yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Well, who, if you are normal, you can go to hell. I like the messed up people. I, I love the messed up people. But when you, when you realize that that song is actually her life. Yeah. Like, and you, and you see the connection. I went back and listened to it like a couple days ago. Um, well, I guess after that episode come out, because it, when something hits me like that, I want to go back and listen. When yeah. you hear her sing that song and you realize I've heard this song a million times, but this song is real. Yeah. It hits you different. It does. And like, there's so many things, um, in the series that I know and remember seeing or watching a video relating to something where it happened. Um, in fact, I shared something um, on my personal page yesterday. I may I may go put it on my, my Facebook fan page because I just thought it was so cool. There's a couple of instances where they show a scene. And I know a lot of people are like, did that really happen? Is this really real? And there was a time in Wembley. It was 1981. My mom and dad were in London. Um, mom's remarried. You know, dad's, you know, not single anymore. Um, yeah. So we'll just say that. And and they're on stage and they do their thing where it's time for them to try to do some duets together for the show. And um, my dad's in the middle of doing their medley of hits. He's doing golden ring. And Whoa. then for he, he just stops it and says, you know, I want to ask you a question. She's like, no, like, Oh my gosh. Like, what's he doing? Cause I know I can imagine knowing mom, I bet there was sheer panic. Like what is he about to do and say, you know, tell him what it's going to be. And he's like, do you love him? And she's like, well, you know, I do. Like, what's she supposed to say? Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? I'm on yeah. stage yeah. in front of 80,000 people at Wembley, and I don't know what to do right here. But it's when I've seen that on YouTube, it's such a painful thing to watch play out because I know how both of them are trying to entertain yet be honest and real because they don't have time together on their own to actually talk about anything because that's just not how it works for people who are divorced. And my dad was really having a moment and he just said it which was a lot like him if he yeah. thought it you know he, he didn't worry about the timing he would just say it and so I watched them and they actually were nice enough to let me be a, a background vocalist in, in two scenes in the series and this was one of them and 
I remember not thinking it was going to be that hard for me just to be standing there mouthing the words to Golden Ring doing harmony because I've done that a million times. But then watching that play out, even though it wasn't really mom and dad, it was such an emotional thing because I knew how much pain they were in and how much they loved each other. And, you know, there's another time when dad was doing his HBO special and I sang um, daddy come home with him there. What HBO special? Okay. It was either 80 or 81 also. And it was, um, gosh, I'm trying, I can't remember. It was, if it was George Jones, a little help from his friends. I can't remember the title of it, but it was an HBO special that came out where Elvis Costello, Tanya Tucker, my mom, Waylon. I got to look look this up. I've never seen it. Oh my gosh. Okay. If you're a big fan, you're going to have to find that. I'm not kidding. I'm watching it as soon as we get done with this. (laughs) You will love it. It's such a great show. And I remember that was the first time I'd ever been on TV and I didn't know till right before I went on to sing with dad that I was going to be on TV. And mom was telling me, you know, as I'm going out there that they're recording it, blah, blah. And I almost had like a a little mini panic attack for a 10 year old. Well, I think I was 11 then. And I remember looking at it like, mom, I don't think I can do it. And mom was always so gentle and sweet. But at that moment, I knew she knew what I needed. And she kind of grabbed me by the shoulders and went, honey, your dad's out there waiting on you. He's about to call your name and he wants you to sing with him. And this is special for him. So you're going to go out there and sing this song and it's going to be just fine. It's not going to be anything different than what you normally do, but you're going out there and you're singing with your dad. I was like, okay. And I was so scared. And you can look at my face. I'm like staring at the camera and looking at him where I'm trying to sing. And my dad is being so sweet. He's holding my hand. He's like kissing me on the floor. He's trying everything he can do to distract me because he can tell I'm freaking out. And, but during that show, there's another moment where we introduce after that end of the song, I introduced my mom to come out and later mom's backstage and she doesn't know it. They're videoing her while he's singing on stage. And oh doing man. Stuff. And holy crap, is it emotional? Because you can Ooh. see she's about to cry backstage. He's singing his butt off, you know, in this emotionally charged song. And um, yeah, it, there was a lot of stuff that happened that they were able to capture that I was very proud of. But some of those things were so hard to watch play out just because we know how much they went through and and their love for each other. I've got, I've got a buddy named Justin Dukes, who's a hell of a songwriter up in Nashville. And uh, he wrote the prequel to Golden Rings. Uh, I, I'll have to, he went through a, he, he got, I, I, I'm not going to say cheated on, but a kind of, I think, but he was, he was, he was engaged to a girl and it took him like a year to figure out how to put into words what he wanted to do. And it ends up being like the prequel to Golden Rings. The It's called Ring for Sale. And oh, it, I'd love to hear that. I, I'll, I'll send it to you. It hadn't been yeah, released or anything. I'll, I'll send but let me tell you, he, he's a, he's a big George Jones fan, and uh, let me tell you, oh my gosh, is whenever somebody says Golden Rings, I always have to uh, have to bring that up. I have to because <laughs> they, they have to know like, when this song. I think when it eventually comes out, it, it's going to be what makes this kid. And um, but it's just the the whole story and everything behind it. But uh, let let me ask you, um, what was it like for you? watching your mom and dad do that stuff like as a as a kid like after they were divorced and it it had to be kind of i it had to be kind of confusing like to see them still still singing the love songs and everything yeah i I get why they did it as far as business wise goes but i I feel this is just my look and from the from outside looking in i think george was always trying to get tammy back Oh, always. And I, I, mom, actually for a while, even after they divorced, they still went on dates here and there. Okay. Go to the Possum Holler and hang out with him. Sometimes she'd take me and we'd go sing and hang out with dad at Possum yeah. Holler. And we tried, well, we, 
they tried so hard, I think, even after they were divorced to try to make it work. And then I think, um, you know, life gets in the way and it just yeah. didn't happen. And I think, you know, they wanted it to. I know for a fact for me with mom, about two weeks before she died, um, we had a really good heart to heart. Um, one of those where you wake up and, and you end up, we're the only ones awake in the house. And we end up for a couple hours just sitting on the couch by the kitchen and just having this really great talk. And um, one of the things that we talked about was dad. And she said, in no uncertain terms, that my dad would always be the love of her life and that she would never not be totally and completely in love with him. But that, unfortunately, because of the way things were at that time, you know, she had her problems, he had his problems. And she said, and you know, now she said, I look back on that and think maybe if I just hadn't nagged him so much, you know, is it, we, I, we, we made a joke out of it and saying my nagging and his nipping, but she's like, but honestly, I, I kept wanting to, to fix it. And she said, you can't fix that. Somebody has to decide to fix that for themselves. And of course that didn't happen then. And when you have my dad's anxiety with wanting to get away from Nashville, mom's trying to stay in Nashville to get business done. And it just tore him apart. And um, everybody wanted him to be torn apart because the un happy people made much better music that sold more records and made more money for the other people. And I think that was a theme for a long time in the relationship until it just finally completely tore apart. But she always said dad would, would always be the love of her life. God, it gets me. That gets me. Uh, it's, ooh, I just, I've always just thought it was the, the biggest asshole move from the people who were running their careers. Yeah. To, to make them go back on the road together. Yeah, I, I, it, was, I, it was horrible. It, it had to tear both of them to shreds. Yeah, every, and and with every work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it had to. I mean, there's, yeah. I, I don't know, that wouldn't happen today. No, I, I mean, like for me, like, I think I can remember even as, as 10 years old when uh, Bobby Braddock wrote Daddy Come Home and I it was just, what an incredible writer period end of story. And, and he just knew exactly how to say and word things um, because they were real things that people felt. And so when I sang daddy come home with dad, I meant every single word that I sang. I remember being in the studio and just thinking when I sang it, Oh, wouldn't it be great if that could just happen? If dad could just come home and mom and dad could be back together and we could all just be happy and live, you know, forever after that kind of thing, you know, the fairy tale. And so at the very end of that song, you can hear me saying the last daddy come home. And I mean, I was just begging like it. And you can, I hear it now as an adult, even and think, man, as a kid, I, I certainly connected with that song to a, a very emotional degree. And I just, that's all I wanted so much as a kid was for them to be back together. That had to be fucking tough. I, I like, I, so that's one of the ones I'm not, I've heard it. I'm not super familiar with it, but I know I've got that vinyl and yeah. I, I was making sure I did. I thought I did. I was looking it up to make sure I had that vinyl. I'm going to have to listen to you do it as soon as we get done with this, like the HBO special awesome. listening to you do that. Like I, I have to, um, there's, there's just no way that that was easy. No. And I remember just being so sad, even being at the studio and just not wanting to leave and just wishing they could still, you know, we all wanted us all to go home together. Like I didn't yeah. want it to be the way it was. And, you know, as a kid, you don't get it. You don't understand. You don't know what's going on. And um, I know that years and years later, um, I wrote a song for my dad when we reconciled and started spending time together. And we really started building our relationship, which 
is the only thing I ever wanted and meant the world to me that we finally were able to do that. And I wrote a song called You and Me in Time. And it's the same thing in that song. It's like at the very end, he did something just for me. He actually, I don't know if you remember hearing the story or not, but he broke his wrist going to the studio at Keith Stigall's. Oh, um, I haven't heard that. Yeah. And he, he wasn't able to play guitar on stage for like the next six to eight weeks because he had to have surgery on his wrist. The whole thing it was a big deal. And from then on, he really never played guitar anymore on stage. It was so funny because um, he said, I felt so awkward at first, not knowing what to do with my hands because like I've just always played guitar on stage. So he's like, I got a microphone. I felt like, am I supposed to do something with this hand? You know, and, and he's like, it was, so, he said, it was so weird. It was like I was learning how to sing on stage all over again. But then when he got the guitar back, he said, I realized then I hadn't had any neck or back pain. And he said, and I started playing a guitar on stage again. I thought, yeah, I'll just do without that from now on. But I'll get, I'll get away with stories. I'll try to get back to the point, but no, you tell me as many whatever. stories as you want to tell. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sitting here looking up you, me and time right now. I'm downloading it right now. Awesome. Well, so we did this song and we go in together and, and we record this song and, and he went back to the studio as a surprise for me um, to add one little line on the very end. And when he was going up the stairs to Keith's studio, he was looking back, talking to Nancy and didn't pay attention. The awning was broken and yawning because it wasn't up high like it usually is. Knocked him backwards. He broke his fall, putting his hand out, which broke his wrist. Um, but he's a trooper. He went on in and did the line before he even went to go, you know, to the doctors and get his wrist looked at. But he added that, I love you, darling, on the end of that song, which oh. I'm happy not think about it for a second, but it was just one of the sweetest things I've ever heard and just absolutely made that song extra special for me. It already was special, but it just really um, tore at my heartstrings and, and made me smile. Uh, you can't see behind my glasses right now, but there's tears. Yeah, I'm well enough I'm trying to like, not do it. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a dad, I know when you say those little things where it comes from and yeah. I'm, Oh man. That, ugh. That would knock me on my ass. That oh. yeah, I mean, like every time I hear that song now, it's like you know, if I if you want to get the Kleenex out, I can listen to that, and it won't take me but a minute because it just you know it's such a special thing that he did for me just to put that on there to let me know um, that he loved me and that that just meant everything. I'm scared to listen to it because uh, I got I got drunk at a show last night and I'm always <laughs> I, I'm a little hungover. And so a little I, extra emotional, maybe. Yeah, I, that's what every day, every time I get a hangover, every, not every day, that makes it sound bad. Uh, every time I get a hangover, I'm extra emotional. I'm extra, I, I'm a crybaby anyway. I'm really tender. Oh, me too. I, yeah. am, I am tender hearted as hell. And uh, I, you telling that story, it's like, shit, I don't, uh, I used to be, I used to joke and, and say that I was tougher at one time because I was a registered nurse for years and you, you kind of had to be able to compartmentalize what you're doing at the time and not think about the situation. And most of the time I was pretty good at doing that, but I, now, I mean, I'm all grown up. <laughs> so I'm just saying I, I, I cry at the drop of a hat. I mean, literally in the last couple of years, it's like anything and everything just makes me so emotional. And I think it's because I've learned um, how special and how important just those kind of things are, um, you know, family and the people that we love, are by far more important than anything else we can ever imagine where we live or what kind of car we drive or what kind of things we have or our career or any of that. None of that crap matters. It's, it's just, 
it's crap. Um, but those moments we have with the people that we love the most, and I'm telling you, I can, I can, it doesn't even have to be people I know. I see something emotional between people on TV. I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah. I, yeah. Ca- I catch myself all the time being like, why the hell am I getting choked up about this? Like, <laughs> how, how many mental health issues do I have? Like, I, just, I think that's a great thing though. It just means me, that you have a good heart. <laughs> me, my dad's the same way. And uh well, there was it was several years ago. I was in high school, so it's been like almost 20 years now. But there was a uh Hallmark commercial that came on during the Super Bowl one year. And it was uh this little boy who was a special education kid, and uh he wasn't getting any Valentine's Day or cards or whatever. And this pretty little blonde girl goes up and puts a Valentine's day card in his bag and the, the, the look on the little boy's face, me and my dad, both at a, a Super Bowl <laughs> party, just break down into tears and are squalling <laughs> and everybody at the Super Bowl party is like, you, what, what is wrong with you two? And it's like, that I didn't get, get y'all. That didn't get y'all. That just knocked me on my ass. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm like that with a lot of commercials and stuff. You know, there's some really good ones during the Super Bowl too. Just saying there's some really good laugh your butt off ones and cry your eyes out ones. So as I'm, as I'm sitting here looking at your songs on iTunes, I see the apartment number nine with Mark Chesnut and I cannot wait to hear that. I'm a big Mark Chesnut fan. And, big, uh, big. Oh, big, big. And, and you know what, the fact that they asked me to do that, just, absolutely made my day my life my everything because i like you said i'm a huge fan of his anyway because he's re- the real deal and yeah love his voice and if you i hate to say it and forgive me dad um for saying this out loud paycheck my dad my mom there's so many people who've recorded that song other than my mom because of course that yeah. has a special place in my heart but mark chestnut's got the best version out there really I mean, like he and, and this before me like yeah the version just him alone was i've always loved it so when they asked me to do that i was excited i will tell you this one thing it was so funny he wasn't there when i was recording i had to slip into the studio real quick and and, and go out and the producer um you know this i'm trying to remember what part of the song it was but something when you say ever yeah. um and so i'm harmonizing with them so i said elver because that's how what dad said that's that yeah. east texas elver you know so and it's funny because they didn't have to tell me afterwards i could see the big smile on his face and he punched in he goes i'm so happy i didn't have to say anything because you know mark's from the same place where your dad was from so he says it like him and i didn't even have to say you can't say ever <laughs> you know you gotta say elver so <laughs> yeah you just you just mentioned like i've got more vinyls of your dad and johnny paycheck like as those, I love some Johnny Paycheck. When I went to your dad's grave, and then Paychecks is right there in front of his. I heard a story that I know a lot of artists die broke or whatever. Your dad kind of took care of Paycheck, didn't he? Towards the end of it, he had no idea until the very end that Paycheck was in such bad shape. He just really didn't, and like he was he was mortified. Like he was so upset that he didn't know sooner. I think Dad just it was it broke his heart, um, and so. I mean, I know he, he paid for Paycheck's funeral and stuff. I'm not t- trying to bring that up to say whatever. I think my dad felt so bad that he didn't know sooner and couldn't have done more to help his friend because he adored Johnny. And I think he saw a lot of himself in Johnny. And, and yeah. let's be honest, Johnny Paycheck and 
Ron Gaddis are really the only two who could sing with my dad harmonizing better than anybody on the planet. They were the only ones who could really do it and, and just do it perfectly and such a great job. And he just and so talented on his in his own right, besides all that. But dad and he definitely had a, a special connection. Paycheck to me is probably the most underrated country Way singer. Underrated. Uh, yeah. yeah, everybody knows old violin. But I'm telling you, like at my funeral, when my day comes, Outlaw's Prayer has to yeah. be played at my funeral. And there was a, there was this moment I was just, when I was at um when I went to your dad's grave. I, I'm serious. I sat there for probably an hour and uh had a couple had a couple whiskey drinks. So I was sitting there. It was just <laughs> I just felt like if you're there, you have to, you know, like it was there was nobody else around that day or whatever. And I just I ended up putting my phone in my back pocket and turning um put your dad on shuffle and everything. And I didn't know that paycheck was buried there. So I just start, yeah. I just start walking around and I looking at everything else and I saw paychecks thing. And then, uh, somebody had told me after about him paying and paycheck going out broke and everything. And, uh, let me tell you, there's something, it's like him looking over him and it's still yeah. like it, where he's buried at and everything. Let me tell you, that got me, that, yeah. that got me. And there's something really beautiful about it. Well, dad was, um, a very emotional person. Uh, he didn't necessarily show those emotions all the time in front of just anybody. Yeah. Um, but he definitely was. And, uh, you know, there were some times, you know, especially like the Johnny, I mean, that was a hard time for him, but my dad did not mind, um, telling his friends that he loved them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that's probably a contradiction to anything else you'd ever imagine about him being an older guy from Texas. But, you know, there's pictures of him giving Merle and Johnny Cash kisses on the cheek or on the forehead or something. And that's just because he was cool with who he was and he knew yeah. it wasn't anything else. He just wanted his friends to know how much he loved them. And he didn't mind telling them and showing them that. And there's some really cute, funny pictures of them like that, too, that I just adore because I think it's such a sweet picture of such good friends. And um, it, it means the world to, to see him having uh, friendship with people like that, because in the business, it's hard to have real friendships you know you, you've got those acquaintances everybody puts their ambassador out there you know nobody's really themselves they're just trying to do their pr networking thing and um so when you got genuine friendships like with johnny um paycheck or with um johnny cash or waylon or with these other people like that um there was just a handful of people that he really adored um more than anything yeah i've got a i've got a buddy named cody wiggins who's like my best friend growing up we're nine days apart and everything he's never been to nashville but he's a huge george fan and uh we're gonna go in a couple months whenever he gets time he we're gonna go to your dad's grave because he just he saw that i went and got pissed at me because i didn't wait on him <laughs> hey i didn't wait on him but uh that's that's how me and him are we we're we're very affectionate towards each other because we've just known each other our whole lives and love each other but you talk about crying. I'm I'm scared of when we go. I'm scared of when we actually get to that grave together. Let me know so I can take stock in Kleenex before no, you get you, out there. You, you're <laughs> gonna have to. You're gonna you're gonna have to because it's it's gonna be emotional. Um, have, have you ever watched the series on Showtime? It's called Tales from the Tour Bus. I have. Okay. Um, there's it, some good stuff in there. There's some yeah. stuff in there that really made me mad. <laughs> that wasn't all that accurate and kind well, that, of, well that's what i was gonna it. that's what i was gonna ask you because some of it seemed a little they kind of took liberty with it oh they did and and like to be honest it kind of it kind of upset me a little bit in the sense that they actually even interviewed me for like 
two whole days. We were in the studios. They were interviewing me and they uh, interviewed a guy named Gerald Murray, who was one of my dad's booking agents and managers for a long time. One of the few people who was actually really a good guy in that yeah. sense. He really did try to take care of my dad and um, cared about him a lot. Um, and they barely put any of that in there at all because those stories were funny, happy stories about cool and fun, good things that dad or mom did. And that's not what they were going for. They were going for the outrageous, crazy, horrible, awful stuff, which I'm, I wasn't going to sit there and trash my dad. Like I just yeah. wasn't going to do that. And um, I didn't realize that's what it was till the series comes out. And, you know, you talk about Johnny Paycheck, his son, Jonathan, um, he's actually a great singer also. He's oh, a really? military man and he's just now starting to make music and he's, okay. he's very talented. Um, but he and I had a conversation off of Facebook one day, you know, not we've never met in real in, in real life because he's never lived like in Nashville um, yeah. or in that area where I knew a lot of other people. But we talk a lot on Facebook and um and so he was talking about, yeah, how'd you feel about that? I was like, pretty much thought it was crap. <laughs> like that one part, you know, in particular, he's like, yeah, I wasn't real thrilled about it either. But there were some people that they did interview. Um, basically, my dad and Johnny are responsible for a lot of their career. And yet they, you know, could not wait to, to say the meanest, nastiest, trashiest things about both of them. Did both of them do stupid, ridiculous, crazy crap? Yeah, absolutely. Not trying to deny that they didn't do some stupid things. But there was one thing in particular that they said. They tried to claim that they took my dad to rehab. Nobody took my dad to rehab. My dad actually was taken to rehab once um, yeah. without his consent. Um, that And that wasn't with them. But then they tried to say that the doctor gave him an IQ test and that it was like, I don't know, 62 or something. I, re I, rem I remember that. I remember I was that. like, uh, oh, my God, I, I was trying not to scream and, and break my TV because I'm like, seriously, what you're saying is a man who is intelligent enough to have written the songs that he's written and has been the person and human being that he has. You're trying to say he's in the bottom two percent for intelligence on the planet. If, um, if, if he if why he, would you say that if he scored yeah. that lowest because he wanted to? That's what I'm saying. If that even happened, which I don't yeah. believe it did, yeah. if it happened, it would be because dad was pissed off and he was just not answering the questions because he was angry that he was put in that situation. But for them to insinuate my dad was an idiot really made me angry. There's so, no way I, he was. There's yeah. there, there's no way yeah. your dad was. You don't yeah. you don't write the stuff that he wrote. You yeah, yeah he's complex, yes. Idiot, yeah. hell no. Hell right. no. No, most definitely not. So like I said, that that kind of that put a bad taste in my mouth for it. But like the second episode that they did wasn't as bad. It was it had some funny stuff in it. But um, I think they were really looking for just the worst thing they could find to talk about. And um, it's a shame because that whole idea could be a cool thing. We, you know, my dad, we actually talked to him about it at one point. Um, Nancy had to have back surgery and she was in surgery for a long time. We're all sitting around talking and he got to telling road stories about things that had happened on the bus and we're in stitches. We're all just rolling on the floor, listening to him tell some of these funny things that had happened. And somebody, I can't remember now who it was. It, he, they said something to dad about, you know, you should write a book, not your book book. Cause that's already been done, but like, you should write a book about, you know, being on the tour bus, you know, do things that happen. He goes, Oh man. He said, if I did that, he said, I wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> he said, I, I, I can't do that. I'd make everybody in the industry mad. He's like, but um, you know, it, it was funny stuff though. Um, and just hearing him tell it made it even that much better. Yeah. I would, I know that it's impossible to hear those stories now, but let me tell you, I would imagine, but I think it was a different 
day and age back then too. Like it, you could get away with stuff then that you can't get away with now, especially because oh, social yeah. media and all that. But Not I would, <laughs> I would have loved to have heard some of the stuff that yeah that you that you've got told over over years because there's just got to be so much and like because I I I know he was wild and I, I I like wild. Don't get me wrong, but wild usually leads to some really great stories. Well, and that's the thing. Like there were definitely some some funny things and then some scary, crazy things. And, yeah. um, you know, that's why everybody was like, man, like, these are great. You should write them down. He's like, yeah, well, I still, uh, I still want to keep my friends and <laughs> I don't want to, you know, stop it. where they talk about it. Cause I haven't heard, I kind of saw in the George and Tammy thing on Showtime that they, they referenced it, but, uh, the duck thing. Did he? Yeah. I mean, almost for a year, dad talked like a duck and it was, and he really? also had a character he called the old man. Yeah. Yeah. The old, yeah. Old man. Yeah. And, and it's, that was just literally the closest thing to a mental break anyone could have. Um, yeah. He, other people who didn't know what was going on would find it cute and funny and hilarious. Um, it wasn't, I mean, it, it got to the point where it wasn't even when he was drinking, it was all the time. Like it just, he was doing drugs and alcohol and he was so messed up mentally because he was so hurt and upset with everything happening in his life. And he felt like he was out of control. And when that happened, he just became all these other people. I mean, I, I really feel like he was the closest to having a, a major mental breakdown than he ever was when all that was going on. That's what I've, that's what I've thought since I've heard about yeah. it was, I thought that's exactly what it like. Oh shit. Where'd you go? Oh, It wouldn't be my show if there wasn't a technical difficulty on somebody's end. <laughs> yeah. It, it's okay. It happens. Um, but no, that's what I thought the entire time. Like I know they kind of made a joke out of it on uh the Tales from the Tour Bus thing. Yeah. But it just seemed like it was a mental break. It, it, it was. I, yeah. I mean, and for them to make jokes about it too, I mean, I know when you hear someone talk like Donald Duck, that instantly makes you want to think that's cute and funny. But when you realize the circumstances surrounding yeah. it, not at all. And um it was a really horrible time in my dad's life but he was just going through so much uh i told you before when uh whenever we started that i, I thought it was funny that tammy was buried inside at the at the funeral i mean not the funeral but at the um i don't know what you call it, the graveyard yeah yeah yeah, I can't, yeah and your dad was outside and i felt like it was her kicking his ass out one more time <laughs> She'd find that hilarious. <laughs> I, like I just, I, it tickled me. Like I, I didn't realize she was buried there. I haven't, I hadn't yeah. went. That's my next stop when I go. Cause there was so many people there that day Um, yeah. inside. I, I didn't go in. I've got like a whole list of. um. Well, and she's not too far away from little Jimmy Dickens. And oh, um, really? And some other, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, ma'am, I, I could talk to you all day. I'm not going to hold you up, but I just want to tell you, this has been my favorite show that I've done. Oh, I, I, I'm just, I'm such a huge fan of your family and you that, well, it, th that I'm just so happy that they're finally getting their story told. Um, and I hope that there's so many people that does not realize just how amazing your parents were and they go look up their music. I don't, cause I don't think as good as that show is, I don't think that you're going to get just country music lovers that watch it. I think you're going to, yeah, you're right. Or just, I think you're going to end up getting people that 
our younger generation that just know he stopped loving her today or stand by your man. And they go listen to the whole catalog of both of them. I hope so. I mean, most definitely that's one of the biggest things that, that I'm looking forward to out of this. I hope that people will discover both of their catalogs of music and will just uh, dive into it and um, learn everything they can about them. Cause that would just make me so happy. Tomorrow, I guess Sunday night is the last episode, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you're on uh, Paramount plus with the Showtime bundle, it started airing as of yesterday on Friday, but um, on Sunday, if it's Showtime only, then you have to wait for it for Sunday. I, I didn't realize it was already out. I, <laughs> I, I've got, I've got the, I've got it on Paramount plus. So oh, now, well, you can go watch it. Yeah. But you, you have just, you literally between the HBO special, listening, <laughs> listening to the, uh, the time song that you told me about all ago and that my day's done. Like I, I'm not going to do anything today. You're going to be George Jones and all day. It'll be good. I, that's almost every day. That's almost <laughs> every day. I just got, I just got new stuff now. Um, awesome. But, but ma'am, I just want to tell you, uh, as a country music lover, this has been my favorite. Um, I just, I, I wish I could sit here and tell you how many times I've listened to your dad's song, how many times that I've needed his music, not, not just wanted to listen to it, but needed to hear one of his songs. I've I've drank more and cried more to George Jones than any other artist. Keith Whitley's a, a close second, but your dad and this is just uh this is this has been a really and now I'm not trying to downplay the amazing that or how amazing your mother was. It's just your dad to me is the king of country music. He's the king of music and one day, one day, I'm gonna have a George Jones tattoo. I just don't know what oh. it's gonna be. Um, I want to get one of his lyrics, but there's so many. There, there, there's so many lines that I want to get from him. I could fill up my whole body. I got Dad's uh, Martin guitar on the top of my arm. So. Uh, okay, yep. all right. So when I bought my first guitar back here, this Martin, I bought the one that was as close to George's as I could get. That's yep. that's exactly why I have that Martin. <laughs> well he sure loved the martin guitars he did he loved them well, well i appreciate you having me so much i really do and like i said this series has been a dream of ours for so long we we thought at times it wouldn't happen so i just hope people will watch it and um see whatever they can see out of it you know what i mean they yes, were human beings. they weren't perfect but they did the best they could and they loved each other and that's that's important to get out of there so um thanks for having me i appreciate Anytime. it um, any of you guys ever interested in hanging out and talking? Uh, we play video games, but we also do chats. We do all kind of crazy things on my Facebook page. So come see me, hang out, talk to me in person over yeah, there. Yeah, tell, tell them your social media links, uh, like Facebook and Instagram yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Where they I can have find a Facebook you. music fan page um, under Georgette Jones. So if you go look for me there, Georgette Jones Lennon on Instagram, because I am married and have been for over a decade to my sweet husband. Um, so if you'll come check us out there, um, I, my, I'm on Twitter too. We're just starting there because I've never been a Twitter girl. I've just been trying really hard to do what my, my duty as a person doing business to do what they tell me I have to do. But otherwise, <laughs> um, I'm mostly on Facebook all the time. So much. We do lots of um, content there. Um, so definitely come check us out. Come talk to us and hang out. We're going to actually do a chat later on um, this evening and just sit around and talk about the series and show some pictures and stuff. So um, come see us. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hope you have a good day. Yes, ma'am. And thank each and every one of y'all for listening to the Josh Terry podcast. We'll catch you next time.